Before thee let my cry come near, O Lord, true to thy word, teach me before thee. We are thankful that you are able to join us today as Pastor Mark Robinette preaches another sermon at Foundation Church here in Mount Sterling, Ohio. If this message is an encouragement to you, and we pray that it will be, please consider taking the time to go to www.foundationfellowshipchurch.org and let us know. Thank you, and may the Lord richly bless you through His Word. Let my lips thy praise confess, yea, of thy word my tongue would sing, Greetings this Lord's Day on this first Sunday of Advent. In the name of Jesus Christ our Lord. Greetings. Look around. Things are a little bit different than they normally are. Uh, we have our banners up today. Our holiday decor. And here you can see that our uh, Advent wreath is out again with five candles on it. In the coming weeks as we go up to Christmas Day, we will be reminded of what it was like for 4,000 years for the rest of the world to wait for the coming of the Messiah. He was then and he is still now the hope of everything good. Everybody say, he's the hope of everything good. Each week of Advent, we will gather, we'll be focusing on different aspects of waiting. And this year, our focus will be in this order. Everybody say, hope. Faith, Faith, joy, joy, and love. love. Each of these four Sundays, we will look at the life of David and how this singing shepherd who became king of Israel personified these four great pillars of our holy religion as the world waited for the Messiah. Each week, we will light one of the four candles around the wreath, and on our fourth and final week of Advent, on final Lord's Day, It will be the day before Christmas Eve, and after my sermon, I will light uh, the middle candle representing the light of the world, which we know was not David. It was who? It was Christ. You know, Israel called David the light of Israel. That was their nickname for him. Um, And when he was going into battle, uh, one time they said, we don't want you to go anymore because we're afraid the light of Israel will go out. And then he wrote... Psalm 27, the Lord is my light and my salvation. He wasn't afraid to die in battle, and he knew he was not the light of Israel. But there was one light of Israel, and we know who he is. That's why we're here today. Amen? Amen. Today, as God calls us to worship, let us hear the word of the Lord from Psalm 89. Honestly, as I read Psalm 89 in preparation for this Lord's Day service, I was amazed at God's love for one man. You know, John refers to himself as the disciple whom Jesus loved, right? And if you were going to talk about the disciple whom Jesus loved, but you were going to say, in the Old Testament, the man that Jesus loved, it's going to be David. Listen to the the words that God says about him. He doesn't say this about 
anybody else like this in, uh, in the Bible. Psalm 89, I will sing of the mercies of the Lord forever with my mouth. I will make known thy faithfulness to all generations. For I have said, mercy shall be built up forever. Thy faithfulness shall thou establish in the very heavens. I have made my covenant with my chosen. I have sworn unto David my servant. Thy seed will I establish forever and build up thy throne to all generations. For who in the heaven can be compared unto the Lord? Who among the sons of the mighty can be likened unto the Lord? God is great. He is greatly to be feared in the assembly of the saints and to be had in reverence of all them that are about him. O Lord God of hosts, who is strong like thee, O Lord, or to thy faithfulness round about thee, thou rulest the raging of the sea. When the waves therefore arise, thou stillest them. Thou hast broken Rahab in pieces as one of that is slain. Thou hast scattered thine enemies with a strong arm. The heavens are thine, the earth is thine, and for the world and the fullness thereof thou hast founded them. The north and the south thou hast created them. Tabor and Hermon shall rejoice in thy name. Thou hast a mighty arm strong in thy hand, and high is thy right hand. Justice and judgment are the habitation of thy throne. Mercy and truth shall go before thy face. Blessed is the people that know the joyful sound, who shall walk, O Lord, in the light of thy countenance. In thy name shall they rejoice all the day, and in thy righteousness shall they be exalted. For thou art the glory and their strength, and in favor thou art the horn to be exalted. For the Lord is our defense, and the Holy One of Israel is our King. Then thou spakest in a vision to thy Holy One, and said, I have laid up upon one that is mighty, and I have exalted one chosen out of thy people. I have found my servant David. With my holy oil have I anointed him, with whom my hand shall be established, mine arm shall strengthen him. Thy enemy shall not exact upon him, nor the son of wickedness afflict him, and I will beat down his foes before his place and plague them that hate him. But my faithfulness and my mercy shall be with him, and in my name shall his horn be exalted. I will set his hand in the sea and his right hand in the rivers, and he shall cry unto me, Thou art my Father, my God, and the rock of my salvation. Also I will make him my firstborn, higher than the kings of the earth. My mercy will I keep for him forevermore, and my covenant shall stand fast with him. His seed will I make to endure forever in his throne as the days of heaven. In his, if his children forsake my law and walk not in my judgments, if they break my statutes and keep not my commandments, then I will visit their transgression with the rod and their iniquity with stripes. Nevertheless, my loving kindness will I not utterly take from him, neither will I suffer my faithfulness to fail. My covenant I will not break, nor alter the thing that has gone out of my lips. Once I have sworn by my holiness that I will not lie to David. Could you imagine this, guys? His seed shall endure forever, and his throne as the sun before me. It shall be established forever as the moon and as the faithful witness in heaven. What a guy. And we know how he did this. We know he did it through the man who we know as the son of David, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. 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 Let us uh, lift up our voice in song today and sing praises unto him.
I'm going to pray as we begin our service and we're going to lift up our voice in song. Heavenly Father, we thank you for loving us and giving us one more day to serve you, one more service where we can lift up your voice in, in, in prayer. Lord, I pray today as we gather together as your people, Lord, that you would fill us, Lord, for we are hungry today. Lord, that you would speak to us, for we long to hear your voice. Lord, lead us in the paths of righteousness. Do as your servant wrote in the Psalms. Lord, lead us beside the still waters, O Lord. Restore our soul today. In Christ's name we pray. And all the church said amen. Please remain standing for just a few moments. My text actually comes from our readings today, and it's just six verses from 1 Samuel chapter 16. My sermon today is called David, Hope of Israel. 1 Samuel chapter 16, starting in verse 6. And it came to pass when they were come that he looked on Eliab. And he said, surely the Lord's anointed is before him. And the Lord said unto Samuel, Look not on his countenance or on the height of his stature, because I have refused him. For the Lord seeth not man as man seeth man. For man looketh on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. Then Jesse called Abinadab and made him pass before Samuel. And he said, Neither hath the Lord chosen this. And then Jesse made Shammah to pass by. And he said, Neither hath the Lord chosen this and again Jesse made seven of his sons to pass before Samuel and Samuel said unto Jesse the Lord hath not chosen these and Samuel said to Jesse are all thy children here and he said there remains yet the youngest and behold he keepeth the sheep and Samuel said unto Jesse send and fetch him for we will not sit down till he come hither and he sent and he brought him in now he was ready and withal of a beautiful countenance and goodly to look to. And the Lord said, Arise and anoint him, for this is he. And Samuel took the horn and anointed him in the midst of his brethren. And the Spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. So Samuel rose up and went to Ramah. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we praise you. We thank you, Lord, for giving us hope, Lord the countless dark days that we have lived through and the countless dark days that we will endure. It is the light of hope that will keep us company during that time. Lord, I pray today as I preach your word that hope would be stirred in the hearts of all of us, Lord, that we would have hope for the lost, that we would have hope for the future, that we would have hope that your kingdom would indeed come and that your will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. You may be seated. During this special time of the year, we try our best to imagine what it might be like to have lived in a world like Israel lived when they waited for the coming of Messiah to save them from their sins. Folks, we can't imagine it, but we're going to try. Try to imagine what it would have been like to only be able to go to the temple and have animals killed to push your sins forward, but to be waiting for a day when they could be forgiven. 
waiting for a day when salvation you believe would come. But we live in the day now where salvation has come. Amen? It's hard to understand. Here in our text, we read about the humble beginnings of a man who could most certainly be called the hope of Israel. Hope when God's people are prone to do, when people reject God, a nation needs hope. And Israel rejected God as their king. God ultimately had mercy on this wayward people when he chose David. And this unlikely shepherd, least among his own brethren, but a man after God's own heart. He chose him to be king. His kingdom was so glorious that the very son of God could be called the son of David. His throne, as it says in Psalm 89, so plainly was established forever by God. Psalm 89, 3, I have made a covenant with my chosen. I have sworn unto David, my servant, thy seed will I establish forever and build up thy throne to all generations what an amazing promise that was made to David and for David. You see, the king of Israel was not only the hope of Israel, he personified faith, as we will see in the times to come. Faith when he did not have armor that he could wear and that he uh, had proved in battle, but he saw a cause when the giant of Gath stood up in defiance against Israel. And he said, wasn't God with me when he helped me with the bear and when he helped me with the lion? And he showed by faith that he didn't need a whole lot. He didn't even have a sword of his own. But he had a little rock and a little sling. And even though he was like a little one in the sight of this nine foot six inch giant, by faith he believed God could do and would do through him great things. We also see how he personifies joy in that he danced before the Lord without regard to the shame it might cause him because he danced with all of his might. We know that he wrote the joyous psalms that say praise be to God. Praise him with the high sounding cymbals. Praise him. Let everything that have breath praise the Lord. That's what David wrote. He wrote and he not only wrote about it, but he did it with his life and he exemplified joy. And he also personifies love. Love, what we really see is we see God's love for him. We see God's ability to love him and forgive him, even in the midst of his sinfulness. And so we will see this Advent season, how David personifies these four aspects. On this first week of Advent, as we always remember the darkness that came into the world through the earth's first man, Adam, Adam, who was probably the most hopeful man in the world that has ever lived. I mean, imagine, Andy, could you imagine living in a world where there was no death, living in a world where there was no sickness, living in a world that God had said, it's all yours, living in a world where there were no thorns growing in the ground, where there were no weeds to choke out what crops that you grew. Living in a world where God gave you a wife that was going to live forever. Where you could produce seed and your children truly could live all around you. And the whole world would be your progeny. Wouldn't that be a hopeful thing? Amen? And that was the world they had. And when they fell into sin, the world seemed hopeless. Everybody say hopeless. Hopeless or hopelessness is not a condition that can exist in your heart 
You may have that feeling, but it's not real. It's not true. It's impossible to know Christ and to be hopeless. Amen? You, you can say, I feel hopeless today. You can say, it seems hopeless today, Brother Paul, but it's not hopeless. The hope that God promised us will come to pass. God will have His holy will. God will take what seems to be dark in your life and He will make light of it. He will bring about things in your life that will be so beautiful and so lovely. I have stared in the face of darkness in my life and the devil has lied in my ear and he has said, you'll not have children. You'll not have a beautiful life. You'll not be in ministry. You'll not see people come to Christ. He's a liar. He's a liar. He's a liar. And he will sit in darkness one day, but I never will because I stand in the hope and the promise of a God who the hope that he gives will make us not ashamed. Amen? Amen. How the world must have seemed hopeless. That's how we feel when we sin, is it not? But the depths of their despair is impossible for us to imagine because we have never soared to the heights that they have soared to. Beauty, perfection, loveliness, two immortals with the opportunity to walk and talk with each other and God with enjoying all the blessings of creation in a world without sin. You see, sin separates us. Think of those you love and think how easy your sin could put a barrier between you. Think about how much you love this church and how easy the devil could erect a barrier maybe out of your own sin and your own stubbornness and separate you from the people that you love. What a wonderful world it must have been. Paradise was truly lost that day. After Adam and Eve sinned, we know that they were banished from God's presence and the Garden of Eden. Death was the ultimate result of their sin. No other saw the disparity between these two worlds so keenly as did Adam and Eve. They must have felt hopeless as they stood there for the first time draped in the bloody skins of animals that had to die to cover their nakedness. I remember the first deer that I killed. I remember being in the tree and I remember having my gun and I remember he was only probably 20 feet away from me and he... And I remember watching him eat and his ears twitch. And, 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 and I remember watching him eat grass. And I remember thinking, I don't want to do this. And you might say, oh, Pastor Mark, you're a sissy. No. No, things aren't supposed to die. Now, we kill them. I'm not trying to make hunters feel bad. I've killed other deer after that. But I just remember in that moment thinking, you know what I want to do? I just want to breathe this thing in. Look at what God has made. I'd never been that close to a big, wild, beautiful, free animal that didn't know I was there. And here they were. They were wearing the bloody skins of these animals over their body. Animals that they had maybe even talked to. Because in the garden, men talk to animals, we know. Maybe he had even had a conversation with the very deer that had put skins that covered up his nakedness because of them sin shame and separation and worst of all death slithered in to this paradise of Eden and into the whole world when Eve strained and struggled and labored with their firstborn son Cain wondering if she was going to die in the process there must have been a spark of hope when she looked into the face of the very first newborn baby ever on earth and she thought wow what is this 
Adam and Eve, of course, were made fully grown. And so they had never seen a little human baby. And that little baby name was Cain. What a hope he brought turned darker as he grew up, no doubt, following after his own desires and his own will and not doing the things that would please his mother and father or God. Oh, what a hopeless day, brother Steve. It must have been when this rage, this anger, you know, sometimes our anger and our rage does horrible things in our homes. Folks, I would admonish you today from Ephesians chapter 4, let your anger, let your wrath, let your malice in every single form, cast it out of your home. It will separate you from your children. It will separate you from your husband. It will separate you from people that you love. Cast it out, folks. Can we cast out anger out of our homes, out of this church, out of your relationships? But this anger murdered it welled up inside of him. It became murder and he murdered his good brother Abel and then walked away from his life. I can't imagine the hopelessness that Adam and Eve must have felt. Sometimes I try to imagine it, but I dare not even speak it if two of my sons were angry and one killed the other. I can't even comprehend it, especially when they were the only two people there. They must have found it hard to go on, hard to believe that things could ever be different. All Adam's children were born into this world of constant death, darkness. And Adam and Eve knew it was their fault. They had lost this beautiful world that God had given them. Instead of living forever now, it seemed that they were cursed to die forever, to watch helplessly as the world around them turned into ugliness. Ugliness that came from them. They could have never dreamed it could, but God had told them that it would. You know, God tells us all. He tells each and every one of us that sin, that the result of sin in our lives is death, and we don't believe it, and we continue to sin. Folks, shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. Let us love each other. Let us be forgiving. Let us be tenderhearted and kind to our children and not merciless in our anger toward them. If you've been this way, please repent of it today. Even in the darkness of that day of their curses, God struck the match of hope. One day He promised them another would be born. One who would make right all that they had marred by sin. It was their only hope. A Savior would be born one day and He would crush the head of the serpent who beguiled them and who brought them to this place that they hated so much, I am sure. And we know this hope passed from Abel who was now lost to Seth and on from generation to generation when it seemed there was no hope. Soon the world would be filled with hope as God would send another man. At one time when the world was filled with hopelessness and violence, God sent Noah and his family. And after Noah came on the other side of the flood, it was Shem. And from Shem on, as we heard last week, we would hear about a man who would be called the friend of God, Abraham. God promised this father of the faithful father of those who would walk by faith, not by sight. He promised that out of his body, a great nation would come. Would his son be the hope that God had promised Eve in the garden? He would not be, but he would certainly be a shadow of him. God promised this man who had no country that his offspring would be a mighty nation and that all the land could, that he could see would one day be his own and be for his people. And even though he did not live to see this hope, the Bible tells us that by faith he kept walking in that hope, looking for a city whose builder and maker 
was God. And do you know that city one day would be called the city of David? That's what Jerusalem is called. They call it the city of David. That's not because he was born there. It is that because David personifies the king, the king who would one day come. No better than any other. He personified that. They had the beginnings of the promised land, but they still look for this promise to come. From Abraham, it went to Isaac, the miracle child of his old age, and then to Jacob. Jacob, who wrestled with God and was called Israel. And in this boy was born and came from him a great nation. This tiny nation of 12 sons nearly perished in Egypt until God sent Joseph a Savior, but not the Savior. And then God sent another named Moses to lead them out again. But this time they didn't go to the promised land. They went into the desert of Sinai. Moses was not the deliverer that could bring them to the promised land. It would be Joshua. And God would send him. And he did. And he brought him in. What a, what a glorious man. Joshua. Joshua, whose name in Hebrew is the same as Jesus in the New Testament. But he was not Jesus. He was still just Joshua. But now as God formed this nation, this nation needed a king, they said. Here God had taken them. And in the sin of of Egypt had formed them into a cohesive nation and they had learned to fight. Under Joshua, they had learned to conquer. They had seen the hope that we could be. But they said, you know what we want? We want to be a, a nation like the other nations. People of God, may we not compare ourselves among the world. May we not seek what they seek. May we not look for what they look for and hope for what they hope for. Amen? For they said we would like a king like the other nations and God gave them what they asked for. And he told them they would regret it. And they did. As Israel's king Saul represented all that seemed grand to other men and in other men's eyes. He was from a good family. The tribe of Benjamin. He was head and shoulders taller than most. He was handsome and strong. He was great in the eyes of men. But God understood that man's true greatness does not come from the appearance of his face. Does not come from the height of his stature does not come from what other people think about him, but comes from what God sees inside of all of us. He looks upon the heart. It would not be a face that could launch a nation or lead a nation. It would take a man after God's heart. When we put our hope in what we can see, and we will always be disappointed. Israel learned this the hard way about where to properly place their hope. Where is your hope today? You're putting your hope in your future, in your, in your new business, Andy. You're putting your hope in this thing that hasn't happened in the life of here or there, this new contract. Is that where your hope is? Are you putting the hope in uh, your little thing that you got going on in your household, in your family? Is that what you got your hope in today? Because I'm telling you, all of that can change in one single day. Me and my four oldest children will be on a plane and some of your kids. And that plane can go right in the ocean. Will your hope be gone? Your hope will not be gone. You might think, I don't know how we can go on. And that's how the world always feels. But there is something that always goes on. Amen? Amen. Our only hope is in the Lord, the creator of heaven and earth. And in those he gives to lead us in the paths of righteousness. Only when God touches the stony heart of a man and enlivens him with the spirit. 
Are there men who we can put our hope in? Let's go to 1 Samuel and see how God taught Israel this lesson and see what we can learn from it today. Our text from 1 Samuel 16 comes after a major wrong turn by the nation. Sometimes nations go the wrong way. Our nation has gone the wrong way. Our nation has gone the way of redefining marriage, has gone the way of taking the lives of little one, has gone the way of loving wealth and not loving God, has gone the way of self, has gone the way, whether it be conservatism or liberalism, neither one of those are the hope for the future. Amen? Sometimes nations go the wrong way or part of it does, but God has His way of teaching nations. He has a way of ruling them well through, uh, through their leaders. And in this leader, Samuel, he had led them through a very prosperous and peaceful time. They wanted more though. This is what we do. When God gives us good things, Brother Stephen, you know what we want? We want more. We're a people whose insatiable desire uh, sinfulness leads us to discontentment and no matter what we have we just want more this is what we do when we put our hope in things I remember living a life where there was a person in my life who was uh, like a cancer who whose life was filled with discontentment and all they wanted was more and they thought well when I have a house I'll be happy but they got a house do you think they were happy oh what if I had a new car and they got a new car you think they were happy when they got the new car? They were not happy when they got the new car. I've watched over and over as people seek after and hope for and think of and look for and put their hope in things that don't give hope. You can have all that stuff and not have hope because you put your hope in the wrong thing. Things are not the answer to our deepest needs even when we believe they are. We should never hope in the next thing. We go back to 1 Samuel 8, we can see where this wrong turn happened. In verse 5, we read that Israel began the wrong turn when they said, Now make us a king to judge us like the other nations. You see, these people had been unique to God. They were His people, but they looked around and they compared themselves to those around them and began to grumble and demand things of God. Verse 6, but this thing displeased Samuel when they said, give us a king to judge us. And Samuel prayed to the Lord. And the Lord said, Samuel, hearken unto the voice of the people and all that they say unto thee. For they have not rejected thee, but they have rejected me. That I should not reign over them. Samuel was discouraged that they had thwarted his leadership. He was discouraged that he had failed them. You ever feel this way as a leader in your home? You feel like you failed them? And you might because every man does. Every man fails. The best of us here fail. Every man here knows what it is to be a failure as a leader. But when people reject their leaders, the ones God has given them, they are really rejecting God. Samuel had failed. We know that Samuel's sons were not following in the ways of God. Samuel wasn't perfect. He had room for the devil, Jeff, to, to whisper in his ear and go, it's all your fault. And that's what Samuel was feeling. And God let him know, no, Samuel, it's not you. It's not you they're rejecting. The people are rejecting me. When a woman refuses to honor and obey her husband because he is not as knowledgeable about the Bible as she is or as spiritual as she is or as even-tempered as she is, she is really rejecting God. 
When children do the same to their parents, they are not rejecting you. You have not failed. They are rejecting God's authority. They are acting like those we talked about last week who think they can break the yoke of God and cast off His cords that seem to bind them. When we do this, they willingly pass under the yoke of sin. People, don't put your hope in your own ability. Husband, mom, or dad, church leader, put your hope in God. God told Samuel not to take their rejection personally, but to pray for them because they had rejected God. According to all which they have done since the day that I brought them out of Egypt, even unto this day, wherewith they have forsaken me and served other gods, and so they're going to do to you. People are sinners and prone to wander from God. Hope in their allegiance, their love, their approval is hope that will eventually disappoint you. Honey, put your hope in God. I love these people that God has given us, but every one of them can leave, honey. And we're going to serve God. Amen? I know a lot of bad things have happened in my life, and every time one of you gets sideways, my wife thinks that you're going to roll a hand grenade down the middle of our church and leave. And everything and all the love and all the service and everything that I know that she has laid out, I know she's just expecting you to just walk over it and forget her and leave her. And you know what? You should expect it because it just might happen. But you know what? God is never going to leave us. He's never going to forsake us. He's never going to forget us. But men do. Amen? Some of you might not understand this. Maybe you've never led a group of people. You know, I was looking around and I was seeing, you know, in a sense, what a big group. And in another sense, what a small group. And I'm, I was thinking of David. I'm like, how do you hold a nation together? What kind of man does that take? What kind of man? It's so hard just to even keep church people happy and making them want to be around or, or making them care or making them be respectful, you know, like they should to the, to the things that God has built. He says in verse 9, Therefore hearken unto their voice, howbeit protest solemnly to them, and show them the manner of the king that shall reign over them. Some of you that walk away from the authority that God has given you, Andy and I will protest. We will say, don't leave. We don't want you to go. We don't want this to happen to you because God's going to give you something that you really aren't going to like a whole lot. And it's about to come your way and maybe you'll wag your head and you'll walk away and go, I'm going to go where there's a good church. I'm going to go where there's wise leaders. I'm going to go over there. And God says, you know, you should listen to the leaders I've given you. Samuel told all the words of the Lord unto the people. And he told them the manner of the king. And if you go through this, he explains he's going to take your money. He's going to take your children. He's going to take the best for himself. He's going to be selfish. He's going to do this. And you know what the people said? That's all right. We want it anyway. Because they were so caught up in what they wanted. He said, you'll even cry out in the day because you're king, which you've chosen. The Lord will not hear you in that day. How many people want to come to a day where God does not hear your prayer? <clears throat> where you've rejected the people that God has given you, the dad, the mom, the, the, the husband, the, the church leaders that God has given you when you pray and God doesn't hear. And he says, you know what I'm going to do? You didn't want those in your life. I'm going to take that protection away from you and you're going to be on your own. See, that's what excommunication is. It's when you are out from under the care and protection of the leaders that God has given you. He says, verse 19, Nevertheless, the people refused to obey the voice of Samuel and they said, Nay, 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 but we will have a king over us. That's what the prideful heart of man does. We, we will we'll pick our own king, right? Isn't that what the Bible says? In the last days, people will not be able to endure, that they will go around looking for people to talk to them, to tell them that what they want to hear. 
Oh, you can find churches like that everywhere. You can leave Foundation Church today and you can go out and they'll go, you're nice and you're fine and you're going to be good and it's going to be a wonderful day and everybody's welcome and just live however you want and don't worry about getting close or submitting to anybody. You can just do your own thing. They're everywhere out there, folks. You can find one every single day. Verse 20, we want to be like all the other nations that our king may judge us and go out before us. Who had been judging them before? God. Through Samuel. God through the judges that he sent. You see, Samuel was a judge too. We want this king to go fight our battles. Really? Who had been fighting their battles before, Christina? It was God. I mean, here you have the people who have the Ark of the Covenant, Corinne. They walk out and lightning comes out of it and kills people. And they go, oh, we want a really strong guy to go out instead. We want a real tough guy. We want a real big guy. We, want, we like how they and their kings all dress up. And, and we love how they have pageantry in their streets. And, and we love the palaces and the royalty. Oh, we love it. We want what they've got. They looked over at uh, the king, you know, of the Philistines, and they said, oh, look at him. Look at how they, look at his chariots and horses and the pomp and the circumstances like down, you know, London streets, you know. Look at that. Oh, we like it. We want that. So God gave them Saul, a king like the other nations had. That's what they had asked for. Be careful what you ask for. You've heard it said, right? You might just get it. Sometimes God gives us things that we ask for so we can know that we don't really want them. You're not satisfied with your leaders, your church, your mom, your dad, your husband. God might see to it that you get new ones. Ones you think you're going to like better. This did not work out well for the people of Israel. And God knows what's best for you. We don't. And so we read in 1 Samuel, there was a man from Benjamite. The tribe of Benjamin, whose name was Kish. He was from a great and notable warrior family, a man who was mighty and well-known. He had a son whose name was Saul, a choice young man, goodly. And there was not among the children of Israel a goodlier person than he. From the shoulders upward, he was higher than any of the people. He was handsome and he was strong and he was good-looking and he was from a nice family. You see, this is how we look at things. But it's not how God looks. In fact, what God is going to do next, I'm going to need a little help from some of the people here at the church. So I want you to pay attention. I'm going to call on you. All right? We may have to wake up some of the five sons of Robinette to represent us here if we got any sleepers here. If not, we may get a couple. We may get Titus and Benaiah to help us out. Or... All right? You guys be ready if I call on you. All right. Saul did all that God said he would. He served himself and he impoverished Israel by making himself rich. He took the best for himself and he followed his own ways, not God's. Remember the story? God told Saul to utterly destroy Amalek, kill them all, people and animals alike. But remember, he had better ideas than God. He thought, oh, I know what I'll do. I'll save the very best animals. And I'll offer him in a grand gesture of sacrifice to God. And I'll save King Agag because a king can come in handy, right? This is not what God had said to do, but he thought it would be good to do. Remember the story? 
Just when Israel had hope that they would be a real power, a real nation like the other nations, that's what they wanted. Just then their leader goes off the rails and begins going his own way. 1 Samuel 15, but Saul and the people spared Agag and the best of the sheep and the oxen, the fatlings and the lambs, that everything that was good and would not utterly destroy them, but everything that was vile, that they destroyed. You know, they killed the weak and the sick animals and the blind sheep and all that. They killed those, but the, but the other ones they kept. And Samuel said to Saul, blessed be thou the Lord. And Saul said, blessed be the Lord. I have performed the commandment of the Lord. I mean, could you imagine this? Defying God, disobeying God, thwarting what he said, but walking up to the prophet of God and say, look, I did everything that God wanted me to do. And Samuel said, what means then the bleeding of the sheep in my ears and the lowing of the oxen that I hear? And Saul said, they, th th it was them. Does this sound familiar to you guys? Kind of like in the Garden of Eden, right? You know, it was that woman you gave me, right? It was that serpent that was in here. It was, it was somebody else. He said, they brought them from the Amalekites for the people spared the best sheep to sacrifice to the Lord God. And, but then he goes, but we have utterly destroyed everything else. See, do you see this distancing language? They saved the good stuff, but we did kill the other things. And then Samuel said to Saul, stay and I'll tell thee what the Lord has said to me this night. Samuel said, when you were little in your own sight, did not God make you the head of the tribes of Israel and the Lord anointed thee king over Israel? The Lord sent thee on a journey, said, go and destroy the sinners, the Amalekites, fight against them until they all be consumed. Wherefore, why did you not obey the voice of the Lord? But you flew upon the spoil and you did evil in the sight of the Lord. He kept stuff for himself. He didn't trust God. God told him to kill him. He said, oh, but man, this is the prettiest sheep I've ever seen. This is the greatest pair of oxen I've ever seen. Look at this. Look at these horses. I've never seen horses like this. Wow. Certainly not. And then he pretends he's going to offer him in a sacrifice. Saul said to Samuel, Yea, I have obeyed the voice of the Lord and have gone the way which the Lord sent me. And I brought Agag, the king of the Amalek, and have utterly destroyed the Amalekites. He's still arguing that he did what he said he was going to do, but he didn't. But the people took of the spoil. It was the people. It wasn't me. They took sheep and oxen and the, the chief things which should have been destroyed. But, but they took it to sacrifice and they're going to go to Gilgal. And Samuel said, Hath the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? And if you don't have this memorized, you should memorize it today. Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to hearken than the fat of rams. You know, we like to do great grand gestures of bigness. We like to do big giant things. And you know what God says? You want to do something to impress me. How about just obey me? How many know this with your children? Oh, they want to do the big thing. Oh yeah, we got some, we got some takers. They want to do the big gestures, but they don't want to do what they're told. They don't want to clean what they're supposed to clean or do what they're supposed to do. They'll do some other big thing because that's what they like to do. They're enjoying the big thing. That's what Saul was. He's just like that. God doesn't need those grand gestures. He asked for obedience. He goes on to say rebellion. And see, 
Many of us think that rebellion, I mean, does it sound like Saul was mean and nasty and, and yelling and ungodly? Or did he just, he, but it's called rebellion here. What is rebellion? Rebellion is disobeying what God has said. That's what rebellion is. Rebellion isn't just, you know, making nasty faces and being nasty. It's when you just go, not going to do it. You can do it with a smile. I'm not going to do that, honey. I'm not going to do that, Dad. Nope. That's rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. Because thou hast rejected the word of the Lord, God has rejected thee from being king. People of God, could we hear this today? Children, could we hear this? Wives, could we hear this? Church people, could we hear this as members of the body of Christ? When God gives you people in your life that are in authority over you, you need to listen to them. Not because they're perfect. Not because they're never wrong. But because they're yours. And that's how God speaks to us. They had rejected God by rejecting the words that Samuel had told them. Thou rejected the word of the Lord and God rejected him from being king. And Samuel said, Saul, I... I will, I will not return with thee. Thou hast rejected the word of the Lord, and God has rejected thee from being king. And Samuel turned to go away, and he laid hold upon the skirt and mantle, and he rent it. Could you imagine this, Andy? The king, the big, important king Saul, head and shoulders above, is grabbing his, his, you know, his robe, and he's tearing at it. Oh, please, please don't walk away from me. Pathetic, right? Samuel turned to get away. He laid upon his skirt and his mail and he ran it. He's ripping Samuel's clothes. And Samuel's like, I don't think you understand how this works. I work for God. I don't have the option to feel sorry for you, Sam, Saul. I don't have the option to just tell you it's okay. God's removed the kingdom. It wasn't me. Samuel said, the Lord hath rent the kingdom of Israel from you this day and hath given it to a neighbor of thine that is better than you. Also, the strength of Israel will not lie, and he will not repent, for he is not a man. Right? And, and then Saul's like, oh, wait, wait, wait. I'm going to say I'm sorry. Oh, oh wait, wait. I'm, what if I... He said, he said, oh, I have sinned. Honor me now. I pray thee before the elders and before Israel, and turn again with me that I may worship God. Come on. Guys, can you see what he's doing? What's he want to be, guys? He wants to be king. He wants the people to like him. He's more worried about the embarrassment of the situation than the fact that he sinned against God. Do you know how hopeless this must have been for Samuel who thought, okay, all right, they've rejected me, but now there's this king. He went through the coronation. He went through the anointing. He went through all this. Do you think the elders of Israel, when they saw this, they were just like, oh, this is horrible. God's rending the kingdom from Saul. Oh, this is horrible. So Samuel says, I know how to fix this problem. He says, bring me Agag. And this is when, this is when the preacher turns from being the, you know, this is, when, this is when we go from being modern church to being the church that really is. What's Agag did? He's defenseless. He's not even carrying a weapon. I mean, he's not done anything wrong. He's just kind of standing there. And so what does Samuel do? Samuel takes a sword. Agag came him. Agag came, came unto him delicately. And Agag said, Surely the bitterness of death is past. 
And Samuel's going, well, you know, no, no, no. See, Samuel was a man who followed God. It wasn't time to listen to Agag's delicate pleas. That time passed before he ever met Agag. Agag's fate was sealed with God. And men who respect the word of God, they don't sit and talk delicately with the king. And Samuel looked right at Agag and he said, Your sword has made women childless, and so shall your mother be childless among women. Samuel then took a sword and he cut Agag in pieces before the Lord. Now, he didn't just stab him. He took a sword and he took a man with the sword and he cut the man in pieces. Now, this is PG-13 for sure. Boom! Whack! Smash! Why was he doing this? He was doing this because this had, should have already been done. And what has happened is the bitterness of what is happening in God. Samuel's like, God may reject our whole nation now because our leader has gone the way of doing his own thing. He's gone the way of Cain in the garden and we can't go that way. And so he took the sword and he doesn't just kill Agag, he cuts him in pieces. Samuel is no doubt covered in the blood of Agag. Blood dripping from his hair and his beard as Agag lays in pieces on the ground. This is horrible. But this is what God had commanded be done. Do you think it was supposed to have been done by Samuel? Probably not. Samuel went to Ramah and Saul went to his house. Samuel came no more to see Saul until the day of his death. Nevertheless, Samuel mourned for Saul. And God repented that he had made King Saul over him, over Israel. So that's where we come to 1 Samuel 16. I'm, I'm winding down here, guys. The Lord said to Samuel, how long will you mourn for Saul, seeing I have rejected him from reigning over Israel? Fill your horn with oil. And go, and I will send thee to Jesse the Bethlehemite, for I have provided me a king among his sons. Could you imagine this? Saul is still the king. He's asking the prophet to fill his horn with oil and go out and anoint another one. You know what that's going to mean for him. You know Samuel knows what this means. This is not like no big deal. This is a big deal. If he does this, here's what he said. He said, how can I go? If Saul hears about it, he will kill me. And the Lord said, take a heifer with you and say that I am come to sacrifice to the Lord. To call Jesse to sacrifice. And I will show you what to do. And thou shalt anoint him. And Samuel did that which the Lord spoke. See, you cannot. This is one of these phrases you'll just go right over in the Bible if you miss it. And Samuel did it. See, that's what the people of God do. We do it. We do what's right. We do what God's word says, even if it's going to kill us. And we go, sometimes we go, wait, 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 wait. No, I, I can't do this. If I do this, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lose my job. If I do this, I'm going to make somebody angry. If I do this, then things aren't going to work out for me. That's not what God's people do. What God's people do is they do it. Here he does. He fills a horn with oil and he goes and he does it, knowing very well he could end up just like Agag cut in pieces, right? And there's no three scriptures of deliberation. It says, Samuel did that which the Lord came. The elders of the town trembled at his coming. Could you imagine being in the little town of Bethlehem? 
And Samuel's rolling in. You're like, holy macaron. Like, what in the world's he doing? What's he coming to five points for? The man of God who we just, the last time we saw him in front of all of Israel, covered in blood, cutting a man into pieces, is coming down 56 at the intersection of 316. Holy macaron. Does he have a sword? Is there any swords near the guy? He's the man of God. And it says they trembled. You should tremble when the man of God comes. They said, are you come peaceably? And he says, I am come to sacrifice to the Lord. Sanctify yourselves and come to the sacrifice. And it came to pass when they were come that he looked at Eliab and he said, surely the Lord's anointed is before him. Come up here, Nathaniel, Benjamin, Gideon, Valiant, all of you. Come on. And then I need Benjamin. I need Benaiah and Titus. Come on. Oh, you hold on to him. All right, so he walks up and he looks and he says, man, look at this guy. Eliab. And I was listening to R.C. Sproul talk about this and he said, everybody thought Eliab was the guy. I mean, in that town, I mean, if it was going to be somebody, look at Eliab, look how pretty he is. And look how tall he is. And look at that beautiful smile. Surely it's Eliab. You know what God says? He ain't going. I look at the man, sorry, you can be. So then, you see, so then he goes to the next one. Who's the next one? Abinadad. Come on, Abinadad. Man, this is a good, this is a good boy right here. He's a good looking boy. He's my boy. He ain't the one. Man. The Lord hadn't chosen that guy. Then, Shema. Come on, Shema. Oh, Shema. Man, look at him. Look at this hair. He's got hair like nobody else has. Look at his skin. His skin is so beautiful. He'll be the one. He's the one. Get out of here. Could you imagine this? And you're thinking, now wait a minute. He's refused my best three guys. Neither had the Lord chosen him. And then again, Jesse made his sons. Nope, he ain't the one. Come on, is this it? No, he ain't the one. And he goes in there. Is he the one? He says, oh, he ain't the one. Go sit down. He ain't the one. So Samuel, knowing God, God doesn't fool around. God didn't send him to the wrong house, right? I'm folks, this is when you when you get used to how God works, you will say this kind of stuff. Do you have like another kid around here? Right? Because it wasn't like it, you know, God's telling him all along, all along, all along. Oh, wait a minute. I think I might see him back there. Wait. Do we have another one? Yeah. I do, but he's way, way back there. He's way back there. He's back on the second row. He's back there with the sheep. Can someone go get it? Hey, hey, boys. Boys, could you go back there on that second row next to Patrick and get that little fella right there? Oh, yeah. I think that's where it is. Come on, boys. Go, go get it. Yeah, you don't understand. Uh, come on, boys. Go get it. But, I mean, he's just keeping sheep. He's just keeping sheep now. You don't want him. I mean, he, what? This guy? And so here he comes. And when he walks in, he's like, man, he's handsome. 
I think it's funny the way the Bible does it. says, he has beautiful eyes. Come on. And he's ready. He's the one. Now, why do you think God did that? I mean, God could have just said, there's a guy down there, and let me tell you what his name is, right? But God had him go through all of his sons. He doesn't know what it is. David's not even in a home. Because you know what God's going to teach him? You ready? Oftentimes, it's the last person you think of. The last one. Some of you might think, well, no one really thinks anything of me. I wouldn't worry about what anybody thinks of you. God looks on the heart. God knows what this boy's going to be. He knows what he's going to do. And God calls men and he makes them great. Amen? And men look around and they see things with their own eyes and they, they put hope in things. Meanwhile, God's raising up a little fellow like this and he's making him into something great. He's making them into something that God's going to make, gonna make great use of. Amen? Now, you've got to stay here with me. Can you stay here with me? <laughs> this is an eraser, not a horn of oil. <laughs> but what God had him do, he didn't do it in private. He didn't do it in secret. He did it in front of everybody. What Samuel did was rough. Samuel prays. He pours the anointing oil over. He lays hands on this David. And David is still smelling like sheep. He didn't have time to take a bath and change his clothes. Probably not. Oil's running all down. And he's just probably finished singing a psalm to God out on the hillside. And he's like, what in the world just happened to me? And the Bible says the spirit of the Lord came on David from that day forward. Do you know that's how it can happen? You can see it. You're a little <laughs> that's what God does. He was ready. He was all the beautiful countenance. He was good to look upon. And the Lord said, Arise and anoint him, for this is he. Samuel took the horn of oil, appointed in the midst of his brethren, and the Spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. And so Samuel rose up, and he went to Ramah. Samuel went home. Samuel's job was done. Samuel didn't know if he was going to get cut in a billion pieces like Agag. He knew he had done what God had said. That's what people do. If you want to put your hope in God, do what God's word says. And don't worry about what anyone says is going to happen if you do it. Amen? That's what men of character, men of God are. They do what's right. They don't care what it's going to cost them. They don't care what trouble it's going to put them in. They don't care what difficulty it's going to bring in their life. If you want to put your hope in God, obey him and his word and care not what any man does or any man says about you. They may say you're going to be nobody. They may say you can't do anything. They may say if you do this, you're going to mess up your chances for X, Y, Z. Say, let me tell you what. The only chance I ever want to preserve is I want a chance for God to say to me, well done. I want the only man that I ever fear 
to be the Lord himself, the Lord of lords, the King of kings. And God took this young boy and he made him, he made him the King of kings. For if you were going to say, name a king of Israel today, everybody knows what they would say. They wouldn't go, uh, they'd name the first one. God made him chief in so many ways, and we will talk about it in the weeks to come in this Advent season. He was the hope of Israel, and still his throne has been established forever because Jesus, as he comes, we know to be the son of David. Let us pray. Lord, may we be people who put our hope in you. May we be people who love your word. May we be people who say we're going to obey your word and we don't care what other people think. Lord, may we be willing to do the things that we know is going to, at least we think is going to cause great trouble for us. You were kind to Samuel and no one ever killed him. You were kind to preserve him, even though he had failed in raising his own sons to glorify you and they had not followed in his ways. Lord, we're all just people. We're just men. We're flawed. We're but we put our hope in you. In Jesus' name, amen. Hello, this is Pastor Mark Robinette of Foundation Church. Thank you for taking the opportunity to listen to our audio sermons. We would love to hear from you if you have any comments, questions, or just to let us know how they served you. Go to our website, www.foundationfellowshipchurch.org, and send us a note. Thank you, and it's a pleasure to serve you.